0: Welcome to Cloud Realities Live, a conversation show exploring the practical and exciting alternate realities that can be unleashed through cloud-driven transformation. I'm Dave Chapman.
1: I'm Shao Kizal.
0: And I'm Rob Kernahan. And we are now on day four of the Mobile World Congress here in Barcelona, and it's the final day. Um, it's a bit quieter than it's been, I think it's fair to say.
2: Quite a lot quieter. Quite a lot quieter. This is obviously the relaxed, casual day as well. This I think, is it, the, is. Yeah, it's, I think uh, it is. We're on the downslope. Uh, yeah,
0: it seems, it seems that you know a four-day version of something this massive might be a little overwhelming. It is. So a, a fair few of the, uh, I would say a fair few of the um, guests have headed off.
2: Yes, indeed they have. Gone home, which was a popular things to do next, wasn't it? It was indeed. Yeah. It? Uh, it also makes it easy to get a sandwich at lunchtime though. Uh, yeah, the queues are a lot easier. The are a uh, easier. Barcelona is getting less full than uh, than it was over the last few days. Quite dramatic, that. Yeah, that's true. That is true. So, look, we're here with
0: um, our last topic area. The six topics that have been covered this week at the conference, just as a reminder, are 5G and beyond, connecting everything, humanizing IT, manufacturing DX, game changes now digital DNA. And what we're going to talk about... Uh, now is humanising AI. AI, of course, being absolutely central to the themes of the of the conference again. Just everywhere? Just absolutely everywhere. If it's if, not,
2: in fact, can you find a stand that hasn't got a big AI slogan splattered across the side of it? That
0: it's not saying it's AI enabled in some way, shape AI or form. AI enabled
2: something other, yes. It's yeah. everywhere.
0: Well, it's not surprising that, that AI is such a big theme of the conference. I actually expect it perhaps to be a bigger theme next year because it's... It's one of six. It's kind of, There's a lot of convergence going on across those six. But I, I would expect that to spread out a little bit by the time we get to next year's MWC. And I'm expecting similar threads on that when we get to things like Google Next this year, reInvent this year, and, and the varying other tech conferences that we might talk about in a second. But let me give you a sense of what uh, MWC have in mind when they use the phrase humanizing IT.
2: AI. Humanizing come on, Dave.
0: Get with <laughs> it. Sorry about that. It's been a long week, but come on. My, I, I mean, I'm even confusing two-letter acronyms now, never mind three-letter <laughs> acronyms. Maybe this is good that we're at the end of the week, eh? Yeah. It, uh, this day definitely has that, I feel, slightly dazed feeling that you get at conferences sometimes. Anyway, so let's get on. Um, okay, humanizing AI, um, as MWC fra- uh, frame it. The impact of Gen AI continues to create headlines, but within a fast-changing tech landscape, it's important to focus through a practical lens. Uh, from the potential to optimize processes and tools that can accelerate transformation in the network or cloud to bringing new levels of natural interaction between people and computers that can deliver personalized experiences for customers. The hype surrounding Gen AI is one built up, built on the top of uh, valuable foundations. And at the heart of it, is data and data management. The pace of change is both disruptive and exciting, and we're only just getting started. <clears throat> I think that's probably a fair enough definition. Yeah, it's pretty well good there. There's a couple of elements in that, particularly with the, work, the, the way that they've used humanizing AI that I want to explore as we go through this conversation, uh, because I think it actually misses a couple of elements of what we should be thinking about at the moment. Uh, but I'm delighted to say that uh, joining us to talk about this, excuse uh, me, Fawad Qureshi, a field cto and phil kippen head of global industry at telecoms both from snowflake fawad good to meet you how are
3: you oh thank you and uh, thank you for having us i'm doing great
4: oh our pleasure and phil nice to see you good to see you guys as well great so, way to spend our our thursday
3: yes yeah, we good to see
4: you something right? a
0: bit different maybe uh, yeah definitely and and it's going to be fun to hear your reflections so just
4: tell us about the the conference that you've had so far so i think um, you now, first of all, last year, I think it was roughly 54, 55% of the attendees were outside of core telecom, right? which is a huge surprise and, and a huge change mm. from the years prior. And I think this year, we're actually starting to see it swing back around. It'll be interesting to see the numbers, um, you know, but I expect that there's going to be a lot more telco attendance. Um, and that is changing the, the, the discussion a little bit. Mm. I think obviously AI is top of mind, a lot of promises being made, a lot of, a lot of stuff to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. But um, you know, I think generally, what we're starting to see is the shift from, you know, what is AI, and you know, more or less, just getting some general basics and foundation around it. Mm-hmm. Now there's a lot of discussion around risk, um, so it's moved from this concept into implementation. Right. In some cases, in a lot of cases, um, others are. You know, I'm also seeing others jump directly to uh, Gen AI and not really focus on building the data platform. Mm -hmm. There's a series of things you need to do before you get there. Very much so. And I think that's gone lost. So you get this, it's an interesting dynamic between those who are now really asking the tough questions operationally um, and then those who fundamentally have just skipped over the fact that you know that you have to do several things you have it's an evolution process very much well let's
0: let's hold that thought and we'll, we'll come back to that and dive a little deeper into it i think in a, in a second because i think it's pretty fundamental to getting it right uh for what has your conference been
3: anything good you've seen um my watch tells me that i did twenty-one thousand steps a day um, that's good going isn't it so yeah yeah uh, so there's a, a lot of meetings a lot of conversations yeah and, and like you said everything centered around ai and um, with regards to the human humanizing AI theme, I personally feel that this is um, this is following the laws of economics. Mm, mm. Really, what happened in 2022 with all the Gen AI, the iPhone moment of data, what really happened was it m- made these complex technologies affordable. Right. right. And as the economics, uh, the laws of economics says that once you make something cheap and affordable, it becomes ubiquitous, mm. and that is what has happened. Uh, over the last eighteen months, and now people are thinking how we can expand on this use of this technology in in more than just the niche ways all right how can we democratize this and touch the lives of the people mm-hmm. that 's why I think uh, what this theme humanize, uh, humanizing AI is attempting to solve
0: let 's dig into some of that shall we let 's start though by just baselining a little bit on on snowflake and where Snowflake is up to at the moment and, and, and how you 're framing what 's going on in the industry, so snowflake very data centric as an organization, data platform company uh, phil why don 't you pick up the story and, and, and tell us a little bit about it and then uh,
4: what AI is meaning to you as a company right now yeah absolutely it 's a great question too because we we did start out as a data warehouse hmm. company data platform transformation, data transformation. Moving, you know, through time ML, right? So we 've been doing. We have we've had an analytics workload that we, we call it a workload for for quite right. some time. Right. Platforms being used in a lot of ways for uh, machine learning. Um, now the focus is obviously shifting to Gen AI, and we made an acquisition last year, Neva, and that brought us new capabilities in the Gen AI side. So. Uh, and then as well, I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, our CEO's retiring, announced it yesterday. Right. And right. the new CEO is actually the CEO from Neva who had come in. Right, okay. So you can put parts together and figure out that, you know, there's a whole lot of emphasis internally around AI. Still very important from a data warehouse perspective mm. because we've got a lot of work that needs to be done before you can even get to AI. We were talking about this like earlier. That point earlier, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: It's, it, it, it's like the... The, the heavy lifting in terms of getting your data in the right shape to make sure that you've got the right stable foundations for AI, and, and particularly when you
4: think about things like ethical AI, Yes, that's, that, that heavy lifting's not going anywhere, it seems. Yep, absolutely. No, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of heavy lifting that needs to be done there. And I think that's you know, it's one of the challenges that uh, exists today is that there's just a lot. There's a lot of you know, parts and pieces that need to come together. Mm. The baseline use cases and whether AI can solve them, um, you know, I think they're pretty well known, at least in the telecom site. Right. Um, but when you just start talking about all the other capabilities and then the technology is it, it starts to grow and, and morph. So, I mean, that's where, you know, to your question, that's where we're focusing today is that transition to AI. But because we have such a strong data foundation, right, we become a trusted advisor to a lot of our customers. And you know, I think as we move forward in time, we want to continue to do that, build on that, and obviously bring new capabilities specifically to telcos, where you know folks can interact data, interact with data more easily, mm. and get more meaningful results out of that interaction. Well, the, the the I wonder
0: what you think about one of the things that we've really spent a lot of time on this week on the show, and actually learned quite a bit as individuals about, is the enormous amount of conversion that's going on in the in the telecoms industry. And the amount of AI that's going to be sitting at the heart of, you know, a lot of infrastructural uh, technologies that will ultimately benefit the consumer, but also benefit, um, you know, telecoms organisations. And I'm thinking about things like AI-enabled RAN, you know, radio access networks, oh, that really? kind of thing. Yeah. So, are you guys, are you guys involved in that underlying infrastructural aspect
4: of what's going on in the telecoms Absolutely. industry? Absolutely. I mean, we can we can talk for hours on this. It's um when. I came to Snowflake roughly a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And Snowflake had already, I mean, we had roughly 70 customers, service providers, but a lot of what we were doing uh, was in marketing with MarTech ad tech, right, or in BI or, and we quickly shifted. I come from the network side of the business. I was at Cisco before, then went to VMware, and then here, and always been associated with telecom for 25 years. Mm-hmm. So looking at what we needed to do to get more credibility and mindshare was move into the network side. And so, yes, absolutely. You mentioned ORAN, you mentioned RAN specifically. Mm -hmm. We're working closely with Ericsson. Uh, We've been doing work with AT&T as well on ORAN. And that's not a space that people think Snowflake would, yeah. would. Well,
2: it's it's an interesting point because what we've seen is the uh, cloud native concepts are coming into the RAN area Yep. Uh, codified um, systems that detect what's going on and they change their behavior mm. and change the spectral control associated with is it a nine thousand person conference or is it two people stood in the field yeah, yeah. and it's interesting to hear you say the data influence is now coming in as well it's like we're talking about the the wider tech industry starting to influence this sector an awful lot more and they're adopting a lot of the things that we've been pushing a lot of organizations towards for the last decade.
4: Yep, absolutely, and the complexity of what you just explained in terms of how the RAN works in the scheduler, yeah. specifically in the RAN, that has always been—I mean—that's been very complex, and certainly the, the gem of the network equipment providers who were providing those solutions. The scheduler is everything; it balances, you know, balances out traffic, it assigns users, it takes things out of service, it it computes, it optimizes, for instance, and computes changes that need to be made to increase the service level. There's a lot that gets done there, yeah. and you know the network equipment providers do it really well. Mm -hmm. And so this whole idea of, well, let's just open that all up, you know, and as a service provider, now we're going to get control of it. And that's just going to be easy. Right. It's been, it's been an interesting uh, journey. I mean, a lot of the telecom service providers that we initially spoken with uh, a couple of years ago and then last year as well thought that, um, that they were going to do a little bit more. Many of them now have started to not outsource, but, Look for solutions or parts that have already been made because the complexity is so high.
2: Sharp learning curve.
4: Yeah, yeah. And what they really want is they really want a you know a, a solution that starts factoring in data and other attributes and aspects that currently aren't available. And so they don't want to though take the responsibility to actually keep that up in the right. network. And so right. that's where that's coming from. They're saying we just want more control, but we don't want a, more responsibility. So. <laughs> With another, great
2: I, power comes great responsibility. I think the Spider-Man quote <laughs> is so. Yeah, that's a <laughs>
0: yeah. We've done about eighty shows of this uh, of this podcast, and Rob's been waiting to get that phrase in for all eighty of them. <laughs> Finally so. done it. I'm, well I'm, done, Rob.
2: I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the podcast now. <laughs> yeah. That's it. I've done
0: that's it. it. You've, you've achieved. You've achieved. All right. So, let, g- going on to this notion then of, of humanizing AI, I want to explore it from a, from a couple of different dimensions because what, what it what it seems to me. I liked your take uh, far wide about the fa- about the fact that. It's the, humanizing the interface and making it very accessible uh, to kind of all, all people. So not just technically minded individuals, but actually going all the way out to, you know, kind of older generations and people that, you know, maybe aren't using smart, smartphones very well these days. And I think at the conference we've seen releases of devices that sort of strip away the app layer. And just have natural language interface to things, and it, it does seem to be that strongly suggesting that's the way it's, it's going. I, I would maybe position two other aspects of humanizing AI, which I'm not seeing in their definition, but I'd be interested in your thoughts on. So the the uh, the the second one to me is exactly your point but reversed, which is from the designing from the AI out to make that AI interface in more of a human way. So you know the 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 other side of the human of the interface there. And then the third one to me is about something they actually talked about uh more in manufacturing dx the theme where they touch on things like industry 4.0 and industry 5.0 in industry 5.0 they they are specifically looking to position the human against ai in a way that kind of creates a strategic positioning eg you know ai isn't just going to run away with this the human always needs to be there and almost like the mech suit of a co pilot model. I was interested in your thoughts on are there any, do those aspects resonate with you? And does that, is that what humanizing AI could be about? Or are there other elements to it that uh, I haven't touched on?
3: No, absolutely. Uh, they are quite uh, interlinked and relevant topics. Um, starting with the first theme around the accessibility, right? So I talked about the, the laws of economics driving consumption of these services across the board. Mm. So there's an economic or the, the cost factor, and then there's the accessibility factor from a user experience design perspective. Snowflake is addressing both those topics, right? So we want to make sure that all of these complex services are accessible to, to customers or, and different types of users mm. on a consumption-based model. So you don't have to pay an upfront CapEx and you know, whatever uh, is required. Right. You just get it, you run one query, you pay for one query, and you go away. Mm. Then the second thing is, for some of these services, right, you, you start talking about Gen AI, there's a lot of moving parts at the back end. There's, uh, there's vector databases, there's RAG model, there's embeddings, and there's, there's a lot of technicality behind this. Mm. So, from a Snowflake perspective, one of the fundamental principles of Snowflake design is to make everything easy. Right. Like, the first thing that I said, if you make something cheap, it will become ubiquitous. more common, ubiquitous, yeah. right? But the next thing is you need to even make it easy. If you, if you make people go through hoops, even though if it is cheap, probably okay, Still probably not going to get there. Still not going to get there. So what we have done with, for example, the Snowflake Cortex is we, we are offering a fully managed LLM inside Snowflake. So right. in order to, to connect to the LLM, all you have to do is call a single user-defined function, connect it to the data, give it instructions, and you do I see. A, a back and forth.
0: So you, So you're providing a toolkit to allow organizations with their data to populate in
3: LLM. No, the data is already there. Right. It's, it's just an, another wrapper interface on top to talk to. If you want to talk to your data mm-hmm. through an LLM, I see. It's, it's just a function. And you I want see. to expose that to a UI, we can do that. In fact, one of the solutions that we built uh, over here was a digital twin uh, for private 5G deployed in airports, where an airport operation manager can say, oh, a flight just landed. I want you to move some of the network capacity from the immigration counter to the baggage, oh, car- cool. uh, baggage uh, carousel because we don't need those. And, and look, who wouldn't welcome that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, and and this that network operation manager is not writing code; mm. they're just telling in English, mm. "Move this capacity from uh, immigration counter to the baggage carousel." Right, that's right. happening in real time.
2: And do you find with those types of new interfaces? where they're very accessible, that that curiosity rises and people do more interesting things. So a different set of people can use the platform. We always talk about the more people you get into the system, the better the creativity becomes, the better the idea. Have you seen that rising as well with, as these interfaces become available, people do ever more interesting things with them?
3: Absolutely. I mean, I'm a, I'm a strong believer of crowdsourcing innovation, Yeah. you know, because uh, when you are looking at the same thing day in, day out, that's your day job, nine to five, you see this as a box. Right. It is always a box. When you bring in net new people who may not be able to access the system previously because of their inability to write complex code, but now they have the ability yeah. to interact with the system, they say, hey, this may not be a box, this may be a cube, this may be something else. So let me apply that kind of thinking. And, right. uh, and that's, that becomes very, very interesting. And, and the best example of this is, you know... Um, I tell this story all the time, you know. I've got three kids who, who like Lego a little too much.
2: Mm. Mm. I may mean,
3: have spent a few thousand... Is that
2: possible, <laughs> liking Lego too much? I'm not entirely... Uh, uh,
3: what's I mean, new, I, yeah.
2: Uh, I've also
4: got yeah,
3: one of those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have spent like 20 grand on Lego sets. <gasps> uh, okay, so, yeah, maybe that's... Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, w- which one's your favorite? Uh, obviously, we've got, a, we've got a deep dive on this. But...
3: <laughs> so, um, So I had to find a way to curtail my Lego spend. So, I found a marketplace (laughs) called Rebrickable.com. Right. Oh, wow. Okay. So, what do you do? You go on to Rebrickable.com. You enter your Lego model number 31058. And it tells you how to make an ambulance out of the dinosaur set. It's an instructions marketplace. Ah. So, what it does is, because you have bought a dinosaur set, Mm -hmm. you have seen it as a dino. Every day, you are making a dino. Yep. To your point, how do you drive creativity? You give people that something else is possible from this dinosaur. Mm. So, like my, my my 70-year-old, he has been using this website for a while. Oh, yeah, great. Right? So, um, and he stopped using it. Now, we gave him access to a software called Bricklink Studio. It's an AutoCAD for Lego. He, no. Now, he creates his own designs and publishes on to marketplace as a custom design what let me show you how do you make a lizard out of this dino set so
0: there's so that that autocad for lego so you do the design and then does it break it down yes, and show
2: yes, you what the set yes, is yes oh. yes <laughs> i have learned today that's i'm what? going straight Why there after this. The yeah. yeah. so fun so fact that would be a, a
4: well-attended stall to me Fun fact about myself: My son actually worked for Lego for for several years. Is that so yeah, right? I he was coming up with some interesting ideas as well, along the same lines. Yeah. But he'd get friends that would come to him to buy sets, and, right. and you know, I mean, he was doing a lot of you know buying for them. And, yeah. But it was a, it was a great experience. But you're right; I mean, there's it's there's a population that's built up around there, and they have the brick conference every year. Absolutely, right? I mean, it's, absolutely, phenomenal. It's
3: and, and, and to your point, this is see. Um, this is what when I talk to customers I say you need to come out of this rut you can't just look at the dinosaur and think this is only a dinosaur mm.
0: going yeah. back as, as much as I'm loath to leave yeah. the Lego <laughs> chat the, uh, going back to the LLMs yes. that, you, that you've got in your product stack yeah. I'm just interested in, in how you're training them how you're developing them and are you creating them are you bespoking them for different case studies. Right. Tell us a little bit about your development process. If right. You
3: can. So, there are uh, three different options that you can do, right? So, there's uh, something in Snowflake called Snowpark Container Services, which is kind of a Kubernetes environment that resides close to the Snowflake system, where you can bring any type of uh, LLM. You want to bring in an open source, you want to uh, bring in Anthropic Cloud, or you want to bring in a llama, you can. Uh, Con- download it configure it you want to go for to NVIDIA to get Nemo you can take it uh, off the shelf and start using it or if you want to tune it we offer that fine tuning capability and, and all of that configuration can be done right. but again it, it is uh, different needs different, uh, different people different needs so some people would prefer doing that fine-tuning of the model. Hmm. Other people say, just give me a function. I call that function. I get that model yeah, capability. Right, right. Right. So, so, right. I want to keep so, it as
0: vanilla as exactly, possible.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Uh, because my requirements are pretty generic. I'm only building a chatbot for a call center. And chatbot is a chatbot. There's
0: no differentiation yes, in it. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah.
3: So in that case, that Cortex thing works. Right. But if you want to really build i want a, a telco llm mm. and this capability so i'll download llama and i'll start fine-tuning for certain requirements so that's this kind of spectrum so different kind of offerings so if you want to build your own you can build your own you want to use a package one uh, the package one is available out of the box as well
0: very cool and so what are you seeing in terms of uh, take up for this in telco at the moment Oh, it, well, everybody's talking
4: about it, like yeah. it is you, right? There's a lot of people throwing use case around at the moment, I think. And, yeah, not necessarily all of them understanding the foundation and what needs to right. be built. But I think yeah. if um, if you look at the impact to network operations, so operations for a telecom, telecoms are operations machines, mm. right? I mean, people say, oh, they provide connectivity, but they are operators. I mean, massive-scale operations machines. Absolutely. Yeah. And so if you think about when operational cost is, well, let me take a step back. Total cost, right, for service providers that includes CapEx and OpEx, on the OpEx side, right, all of that cost is about 80% of the cost model. Mm -hmm. 50 or so percent of that, 55, depending on which numbers you believe, um, that is network specific. And so when you think about the deployment of a service, right, you, you know, you order a service, you order your phone, you get your service provisioned, and, you know, wow, done um there's a lot of people behind that and there's a supply chain and there's all kinds of stuff that that service providers need to do just to get you baseline service right now if you're an enterprise customer wow now fiber's got to be provisioned if you're you're taking fiber to uh to the prem, if you're deploying mobile towers there's i i was told by uh, i won't mention the name but one of our large accounts mm. and one of the the executives in our large accounts said listen you know you got to really know ran there's so many pounds of concrete an exact number of pounds of concrete that go into that that pad for that Ram tower and mm. for that base station, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So what happens if there's a little bit too much? And he's like, can't be too much. It's got to be. So there is a very there's a very process oriented. The, 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 in, the inference being in some way it's going to impact how the, the performance of the tower.
0: I don't know if it has to do or that. Cost, or just like cost. cost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it could be that yeah, too. Yeah. But, that makes more sense. Actually. But
4: there's a very specific number, and. You know, so there's a lot of operational right. process that go on. Right. And so service providers, you know, the cost model and the contribution of cost that associated with the network is really high. Mm. I mean, you're talking about if uh, one of our large service providers in the US, for instance, annual uh, revenue of $129 million, you're talking about you could influence network operations, or I should say influence cost, with making network operations more efficient to the tune of 1% or 2%. You're talking about like $1.2 billion, right, in cost savings. So there's a massive potential there. Uh, and there's so many new use cases that could be used. The challenge is to find the ones that are, have the highest business value, economic value, and the lowest risk. Mm. And so this is the conversation that I'm having with many customers today. We're going past just the using analytics and Gen AI, like Gen AI for you know, mm. documentation generation, customized documentation generation. And now we're looking at use cases that could potentially take down parts of the network if it goes sideways. Mm. And so the network side is where you know, there is a massive amount of opportunity, more opportunity, I would say, across you know, all of the cost is is centered on network operations the use cases that you know have been deployed are very very basic yeah you start to get to optimization you start to get to you know deploying services automatically 6g is going to be data driven i mean wow considering where we're at today now all of these network operators that are people right have to kind of take a step back how far back is the question Uh, i think what
0: occurs to me is you're describing the situation there and, and, and i I think I concur because I've seen a similar pattern in other industries where you're getting point solutions at the moment that may or may not be particularly operationally deployed at the moment. So some probably some very cool POCs mm-hmm. and then some specific point solutions emerging. We step past the point solution yep. and get to a point where these things are starting to join up to have much deeper impacts both on telecommunications organizations themselves, e.g. how does that organization reshape itself Mm -hmm. and what does that look like? And then I guess to sort of abstract that even further to to then say, what do we think the impact on the sector is going to be? So I wonder if you guys have given that any thought and what you think that sort of uh, kind of much more uh, systemic implementation of ai enabled is actually going to mean for the sector I, I yeah think,
3: i think there is a there is a very interesting joint work that we have done with capgemini and and before i get into the detail of that so you mentioned about the manufacturing dx theme um mm-hmm. one of the things that i feel both within the telecom and also the 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 whole industry 4.0 uh, concept is we we are generating a lot of digital exhaust a lot of the iot data Uh, has been produced but not a lot of it has been brought back. Yeah. The loop's on it. Yeah, the the loop is not there. So I talk about how do you leverage that digital exhaust and convert it into a digital fuel. Mm -hmm. That's the story. So the project that we worked together with with Capgemini, right? So under the autonomous network concept, uh, the, uh, the project Net Anticipate that we worked with Capgemini was how do we build, capture all of that data from the network run it as an autonomous network and while we remove the mundane activities that are required for the human to you know, do the different kind of tasks, because we are talking about hundreds of terabytes of data per day, at the same time we deliver sustainability goals, mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: right? So like what you said, you talk about systematic, right? So net zero is, uh, is on on the plan for every every major telecom around the world. And, and the concept is very simple. It's just like a self-driving car, you know. There are a lot of benefits of the self-driving car, but one benefit people don't talk about is because it is generally going to remain within speed limit, it will try to keep your RPM within 1,500 to 2,000 RPM, which is the most optimal from a fuel, fuel consumption perspective. Right, right. So that autonomous network, which is levering all of that IoT sensor data to manage the network so that all the capacity management up and down is done to make sure that all the human productivity enhance and all... As a side effect, it delivers and optimizes your energy consumption. Right. And that is something that we have demonstrated through this joint work with Capgemini on with Project Net Anticipate.
0: I, I mean, that, that is a fantastic example of a systemic effect. Um, wh- Phil, what do you think? Maybe just by way of bringing our conversation yeah. to a close, if, if you were thinking about systemic effects on large organizations and industries, what, what does the next five years look
4: like to you? So I think, and to answer your question earlier, I think it comes, you, customer experience is a good example mm-hmm. of that, right? Systemic effects, and I think one systemic effect or related effect, a dependent effect, is when we're looking, we're thinking about language models, we're thinking about AI, we're starting to generate you know, models and, and requiring more compute, right? Is that sustainable, right? I think that's one yeah. interesting very question. Uh, I like, think that's a bit, one of the big questions we have in front of us actually as an industry. Absolutely. And I think, you know, so that's, you look at systemic effect, I think things build on, on each other. For telecom, um, you know, they need to get to a point where it's entirely data-driven, mm-hmm. where customer experience is data-driven. Um, you know, that changes things dramatically in the industry, the technology. I think that part about it is the most interesting, which is we're, we're starting to build new technology with AI that is going to then... Translate to additional technology that we really don't know about today. Right. Got to get the basics done first, and then move forward from there. And I think you know, next year we're going to be back here talking about kind of the next stage. Yeah. Mm. And I think systemically, when you start bringing all these things together—energy management and sustainability with customer experience, with network operations, with business operations—you start to see where you're almost running your entire business, you know, on AI. Is that possible today? And, and what the, what is the risk profile for doing that? And I think, so we've got a long way to go before we get there. But if you as, a, as an internet service provider can cut that 80% of the cost or 50% of that 80, 40% you know, down significantly over the next few years, that's going to be important. But that's not necessarily the end of the story, right? So they're looking to make new money. They're obviously you know looking to monetize some of this. And I think you know when you look at manufacturing, we talked about that just a little while ago, and you're bringing that into telecoms. You're working with uh, a telecom service provider, a manufacturing use case. we're doing that actually right now, and we're starting to see the value of AI in that telecom service provider and leveraging that in 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 combination with that enterprise manufacturing uh, company. and that in and of itself is you're starting to see. AI, and specifically service providers and enterprises, help each other. Yeah. And so, I mean, I mean it's a really interesting. Those aspects you were both describing
0: of, of these points joining up to create much more profound transformation seems to me we have got to that point in the AI arc, if you like, it, on such a radically accelerated pace. If, if you look at say, sort of more generic cloud or cloud generally in a cloud stack, Obviously, it's profoundly different to the world of client-server, and it's brought with it a whole host of, of opportunities and different ways of organising yourselves and different pieces of innovation. But when you look at, say, like fully cloud-native enterprises, like ones that have gone on one hundred percent, there aren't that many of them around. And we're nope. what a decade probably into cloud right now. Yet with AI, we're out eighteen months into the you know the the post GPT world, and we're already seeing I I would say more like, deeper thinking going on on that
4: type of systemic impact. Absolutely. Absolutely. I yeah. mean...
3: I, I think um, the difference between the cloud versus the AI was um, the resistance towards the movement to the cloud was there was already something in place. Mm. There was something on-prem. Maybe call it technical debt or whatever. Right. right. For most organizations, there has been no AI thing and people thought, oh, this... Brand l- this new, l- yeah. Oh, this is a brand new toy and this looks like thing. And, Great observation. And I and, and think... Um, for a lot of my conversation, it turns out, oh, GenAI is the answer now.
2: it is the question? Yeah. <laughs> so That's for uh, sure. you just double click on yes, and it works. <laughs> yeah, Come on, yeah. guys, it's that easy. And yeah.
3: and one of my uh, you know my you know uh, conversations with customers is just because it has generate uh, generative aspect, it doesn't mean you know you should be using it right. In English, there's a difference between prediction and generation. Mm, yeah. Mm prediction, extrapolation is different than generation. Mm. It's almost like, you know, the concept of type one versus type two thinking, right? So what you're doing there. So um, I, um, I, I received an email from a customer. who said, oh, I want to use generative AI for uh, prediction and churn modeling. I said, the telco industry has been doing churn modeling for 35 years. Mm using regression and all the ML techniques. So you're saying that a technique which is already well established, which delivers good results, 80, 90% results, you're going to move to a technology which is prone to hallucination, gives incorrect results forty five percent of the times, and you're going to use Gen AI because it is the fancy new toy.
4: Yeah, yeah. Nobody I mean, talks about ML anymore. It's exactly, like they don't no, it's the, that's, that's a passe right. thing now, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Exactly. It's not cool. It's not yes. the new toy. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So how do you balance it out and and that's the, that is something, you know, you how do you cut out the noise? Right. Just because Gen AI is there doesn't mean that old, you know, you should throw away the old mathematics and all the calculus that we have known for 40 years. Right. Core concepts still remain relevant.
2: So it's, it's yeah. Yeah. It's that classic, I have a hammer and I'm off to find a nail. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'll hit anything that looks
4: remotely like a nail. Absolutely. Yep. Exactly. That's a good analogy. Yeah.
2: Well, look, I think,
0: I think we'll uh, leave it for today on that note because I think it's uh, given us quite a lot to think about. So thank you very much for that. And, sure. and again, guys, thanks so much for taking time, particularly at the end of the conference, to come and have a conversation. Now we end every episode of this podcast by asking our guests what they're excited about doing next. That could be something in your personal life, it could be something in your professional life, and given that we're here at MWC, it could be conference-related or Barcelona-related. So, Phil,
4: why don't you kick us off? What you're excited about doing next? So every year, uh, we get people, we get I get past friends and, and colleagues together, usually on Thursday, and we go out and we uh, we really tie one on. Uh, and no, it's a no, good, it's a great no, opportunity, nice. but everybody shows up like tired of like, oh, yeah. so you're already half out of it, right? Yeah. If you've survived four <laughs> yeah. days, you know, you're already half out of it. And so certainly getting together with old friends, which is going to happen this afternoon. But Fabulous. after this, I'm taken off to go to Greece for a week and I'm Ooh, not nice. turning on that laptop. So Oh, man. That's Brilliant. G- so I'm, once you're out of V, you're, 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 you're looking good. That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm packing this away fun. and I may ship it home, who knows. Uh, for at least a week I'll, I'll be gone and fabulous. really looking forward to this. You know, we, we planned for four months for this conference. Right. Four months, weekly calls, problems to solve it. I mean, once you get to the end on day four, you're kind of looking back. Four months of planning yeah. is over in like four days. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And it's like poof, everything's done. So. Very much like Christmas. It is, you're right, absolutely. Forward.
0: What are you excited about doing next?
3: Um my seventy year old wants a Lego set.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> oh no. So I need to see if I can find a Lego store nearby. What is the biggest one that he's built? Um he has been playing with Lego Technic since the age of four. Wonderful. So he only plays with eighteen plus Lego, so mm. Duplo was always beneath him. Yeah. <laughs> so Is he does he
0: sort of like, you know, is he a bit a bit like turns his nose up at it yeah, yeah like yeah. why so, would i want
3: something yeah. that big that block yeah, exactly
0: you can't really do much with a block that big i mean um,
3: he's a character and a half and he told us like when he was five he told us you know on my hundredth birthday i need this shark set lego said, okay <laughs> so so he has his life well planned out for every birthday he has a has a lego set listed down one That's brilliant. So I have to see, uh, his birthday is coming up in March, so I have to see.
0: Well, good luck with that. I I hope you land on something that he's thrilled with. I'm sure you will. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: So a huge thanks to our guests, Fawad and Phil. Thank you so much for being on the show.
0: It was a great conversation. Okay, welcome back to the second half of the show. It's just the team at the moment, so it's just Shalk, Rob and I. We've also got Marcel on the mic. So hello, Marcel. Hey.
2: How are you doing?
5: Uh, I'm fine. You're thank good? you. Yeah, I'm good. Good, yeah. Good, good,
2: good. good to see you on the
1: mic. Yeah, thank you.
2: He's, uh, it's he's, a special
5: occasion. Eh? He's, so, he's
2: still um, shell-shocked by all the modern technology that he's rejecting. He's, yeah, yeah. So, I'm not. Yeah. Ah, well, we'll come, come to that.
1: And he's holding pen and paper. He is, actually. He's got yeah, a pen yeah, and paper yeah, done.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come. We'll come to a. We'll come to Marcel's
0: reaction to the technology. Surprise! Sure. You've
2: not got a chisel and a block of stone behind you, mate, <laughs> <laughs> knocking out the meeting agenda. <laughs> That's in my suitcase, uh, Rob. But we suitcase. were supposed to have
0: uh, a sixth episode uh, coming from uh, MWC twenty-four um, this week. But well, unfortunately, Google, who were going to join us on uh, on the sixth episode to talk about manufacturing DX uh, and uh, sort of wider wider things that, that Google are doing with their telecom partnerships and, of course, uh, the AI aspect of that. Uh, but unfortunately, for un- unforeseen circumstances, they can't actually join us. So what we thought we'd do, uh, just as a second half of the episode that you've just heard, is just reflect a little bit on what's gone on at the conference this week and actually f- finalise the, the six parts of the themes that have been, uh, that, that we've been following all week. So the final part... Uh, is about manufacturing DX. So manufacturers are putting significant time and money behind their digital strategies. While 5G provides benefits to all economic sectors of the global economy, manufacturing driven by applications like smart factories may benefit with its natural setting for private wireless networks and data-led solutions. Technologies are broadening the competitive landscape, providing sustainable solutions that increase factory efficiency, improve production Uh, Performance and decreased cost. So with institutions such as the European Commission and companies increasingly investing in AI and robotics, can the true value of Industry4.0 be captured is the question that the theme of the conference is is really asking around manufacturing, digital strategy and digital transformation, which they refer to as DX. So let's start with a couple of definitions uh, and then we'll
2: talk about whether we've seen some evidence of this at the show itself. So Industry4.0, Rob? Uh, Yeah, it's uh, basically bringing intelligence into the industrial process. Um, So uh, that is using data, IoT, connecting it all together, analyzing that, creating digital feedback loops so you can materially improve um, the processes uh, that you're operating. And it was that integration, data at the heart, all that sort of stuff. What's interesting, though, is the 5.0 definition, which is coming out now, which is uh, saying that the human is now at the center of the... Process and it's all about experience led changes. Right. So, where we see this a lot in other industries, the experience point is starting to come to the fore and that's changing the thinking yet again. So, how do we serve uh, the person in the loop as effectively as how we create the loop? So, if you think about four creating the intelligence, five is starting to think about how you consume that more effectively. I I think the other thing that five
0: does, before we go back to four in a second, the other thing that five seems to do is position the human
2: appropriately within within Industry 5.0. Yeah. And it positions it in a co-pilot sort of way, right? The mech, the mech, mech suit, suit. Yes, absolutely. How does industry serve the human better as well?
0: Yeah. 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 So um, I think it's fair to say that the 4.0 convergence you described, which is around data, it is around bringing sort of technology and networking together to get uh, kind of more control and re- more remote control and more automation.
2: I think the, that that, aspect of convergence has been pretty clear it's happened in the conference. In, and it's commonplace now i think it's here to stay it's well established the maturity curves hit and now it's like as you say the mech suit era will soon come yeah i think i, I think the, the other thing that struck me particularly with the telecoms uh convergence
0: with with the likes of cloud is just how wide area how super wide area that's going to get yeah so where where there might have been issues in in industry where you were tracking things on ships or you were in very remote locations that may or may not have been uh, in any way automatable at one point in the past without you know without just having physical robots on site I think that's going to be a problem of the past going forward from what I, what we've heard this week
2: Yeah so I think with the we heard about the Stratus Point the NTN the Sats yeah. There's nowhere yeah. where you can't get connectivity. Uh, we've discussed the massive explosion of IoT devices, you know, billions and billions doubling in the next few years. Yeah. All the point-to-point communications getting more complicated. The network is rising to meet the challenge, and that's creating new use cases. Yeah, so we're getting the, A simple thing like asset tracking. Yeah. Uh, now there is nowhere in the world, if you implement it correctly, where you can't track an asset. As an example. Exactly
0: right. And maybe just to bring this little bit of a summary of the situation here, I just to give you some numbers. In 2020, digital transformation in the manufacturing industry was valued at 263.9 billion, and by 2026, so within a six-year period, that number is anticipated to reach 767.8 billion. That's quite an expansion. I mean, that is absolutely huge, mind-boggling.
2: Expansion. But the point that that shows is that people understand it. They know they have to embrace it. They want it. And so the investment is going in. Yeah. So we know it's like that, that's my point about the maturity curve has risen. And the, you can look at the investment and you can tell when an idea is caught on.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Look, so hopefully that gave a bit of a summary of manufacturing DX, which was the sixth of, of the topic areas that we have structured the show around uh, this week. Now, let's just quickly remind ourselves what those were and see if we've got any observations when you look across them. So there's 5G and beyond, connecting everything, humanizing AI, manufacturing DX, game changers, and our digital DNA. And I think for me, what you've got here is a thread that talks about, first of all, the possibility of 5G, so the, the promise of it, and then actually realizing that promise and what that means and the fact that 5G actually... Can be a lot better than just standard Wi Fi in a lot of situations. So, can create sort of significant connectivity uh, when exploited correctly. Connecting everything is then, of course, aspects of the um, everything, everything becomes a device on a network. The, the real promise of, IT, uh, of IoT becoming a real, you know, kind of a real living ecosystem of devices
5: so everything will really be connected also the toaster for show uh,
2: internet connected toaster it's yes. going to join the billions of devices on the internet it's about time
1: and AI infused <laughs> AI infused yeah, internet yeah. connected Not only toaster connected I want an AI infused one
2: uh, well you, you there'll
0: be no app interface to it will there because no. you can just speak to it directly yes. you don't need that.
1: Yeah, and maybe large... you can read my mind as well, so I don't
2: have to speak to it. <laughs> large language model enabled, <laughs> internet connected. What would Some you sensors on my,
1: On my head, and my brain. Which yeah.
2: brings us on to humanizing AI. <laughs> 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 well, it's almost like the link was there. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Look at that. So humanizing AI, that was actually predominantly at this conference, pr- was predominantly just about AI being at the center of everything. I actually don't think in what they were talking about, certainly in their documentation, they really got to the heart of what humanizing it actually
2: means. I think uh, the, the humanizing part for me is the um, creating accessibility through uh, a human-like interface. Yeah, that's the, that's the point. That's for, and, and so when we talk about humanizing, it's how does a person who's not technically savvy access the data and the information that sits within these systems that we've been talking about. So when you say humanizing, it's that for me, it's the, it's that anybody can get hold of it as opposed to like the data scientist in the corner who's done 20 years of training on the platform. I think I sort of see
0: sort of three dimensions of humanizing it. So the first is yours, the, the usage of it, the interface for it and getting access to it. The second to me is the creation of the AI itself. And, you know, trying to make that AI interface as human as possible. So coming at your point, but from the other direction, the actual yeah. creation of the technology, which is, of course, where ChatGPT has revolutionized the situation. And then the third is a little bit like in what they've done in Industry 5.0, which we've just been talking about, which is the relationship of the human to AI going forward. Like, what is that model which addresses the... You know, is AI just going to take over things? Is it it going to be a partner for us?
2: Is it subservient to us? What's the relationship between
0: AI and human?
2: And that's going to change fast, yeah. So when the sophistication... Because, let's be honest, large language models have limitation. We've seen lots of press articles about how that limitation has been exposed as the race to get the systems out there is. I I think this is a conversation that in five years' time will be radically different as, again... The curves change, but uh, yeah, time Uh, will tell. Time will tell. Manufacturing DX, we've just talked about, this is
0: specifically focused on the manufacturing industry as as just being, I think, like a microcosm of how all of these things are coming together. and to sector of the
2: the themes, actually.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Game Changers, uh, the way that we framed Game Changers was... Those things that are really going to push on our ability to do a lot of the things we've just been talking about. Now, you could obviously position things like AI as a game changer; those sorts of things, it, it most certainly is. But we looked at it from a point of view of, um, you know, th- things like actually leveraging space in a way that's both responsible and a way that's going to open up technology in a very fundamentally different way. Yep. It is going to, is going to, you know, it, it, it may be the case from the conversations we've had this week that in 10 years time the idea of having terrestrial networks feels
2: slightly ridiculous and redundant like all of this physical kit all over the place uh, that was very much the the angle which was the effort you have to go to create a ground-based network uh, and then the cost model that is if you put it up in the stratosphere it gets a lot cheaper right so when that technology comes of age properly which it is now I think you'll find it'll be less friction to implement these types of things. I I, I think that's definitely for sure. And then they were also dealing with things like the space junk aspect,
0: where they're actually having satellites deorbit themselves and things like that, which is pretty fascinating. And then finally, uh, digital DNA, which I think is extremely important, because this is where they were talking about the new workforces, diverse workforces, inclusion in workforces and education. Something we're pretty passionate about on the show, I think it's fair to say. Um, Yeah. yeah. So I think, as six topic areas, I think do quite a nice job of blending what this conference is about. Because my first observation on the conference itself is it's quite difficult to get your arms around it. Yeah. It, It is so multifaceted, it is so huge, that actually some of these
2: themes weren't necessarily presenting themselves on the floor, let's say. There's a, yeah, you've got the themes, they make sense. But if you look at the diversity of the ecosystem and the way it's being presented, I don't think it's clear if you just turned up and had a look around that no. you would get that theme.
0: Yeah, I agree. You
2: have to go hunting for it.
0: I think you do. You have to really engage with what's going on to track it. And even when you're tra- tracking things like announcements, so when you go to more of a single-threaded conference, like one of the cloud conferences that we cover, all the announcements make are just are just much more easy to follow because they're all basically within the same thread of a cloud provider that's telling us about the exciting things they're doing over the course of the next year. Here, you have got a confluence of, I don't know, hundreds of exhibitors, let's say. It might even be thousands of exhibitors uh, all coming at tech from a different perspective, yeah. whether it be the that's network, the consumer, uh, kind of more enterprise tech, more cloud provider tech. So it's like, it's like, You know, multidimensional.
1: And the the fact that it is so huge here with all the halls and all the uh, different expo floors, it's very difficult to get a good overview of all those different topics. Yeah. You don't have enough time, basically. Yeah,
0: That is for sure. I think the other thing that really struck us all this week in in
2: talking about this over drinks last night is the C word, Rob. Uh, Convergence? Yeah, that one. Yeah. yes it's very clear it's happening yeah so we've seen a lot of partnership announcements we've talked about network as a service all the cloud themes coming into the connectivity realm uh, with the telcos and the cloud providers coming together and creating new potential but it is a really good example of how converged technology does work but it's now at scale and there is this uh, almost feels like we're at a slight tipping point where uh, the codification of everything Mm. is arriving in RAN, and it's arriving in the whole... uh, Network as a service. uh, Yeah, that. And so the ability to change everything very quickly, which brings the agility and the speed, hopefully we'll get the acceleration like we did around the cloud era, where people can do things that are amazing fast and allows for democratization of the capability, so you get the creativity come into that. Mm. So funky things happen when you open up the ecosystem.
0: Yeah, just as an extension of that point, the, the, the programmability of, of everything in a cloudified way that now is not just about sort of centralized public cloud. Yes. It is, is hugely democratized. It, is, uh, it deals with the geographic issues that the cloud used to have. It allows you to be very specific in your, in your networking and how you want to use networking. It's programmable right down to the chipset and the and the nature of how uh, chips now can be programmed to make things more efficient. And, you know, not only that, but better for the environment. V- v- convergence, something, you know, you particularly, but we as a show have been banging on about a bit. I think this has been the, the most impactful examples of convergence that we've seen so far.
2: Yeah, 100%. I mean, it, you, you see it everywhere. Uh, but here, particularly, connectivity is one of the key things that is so powerful in that strategy. And so actually, surprisingly, when you go through the themes of the conference, you would have hoped that they might have picked up on something along those lines about the partnership angle, which has to be a a necessary thing to allow convergence to be successful. The expertise from multiple areas coming together. I think a good part about that is cloud and the CSPs are having a very strong influence on how that happens because they have the expertise on how to do it fast. They have the the capability and they're almost like they're going to be the ones that increase the tick rate of this sector to go and do it because their demands will be high. They won't tolerate any lethargy and that process of convergence, they will be the ones that drive it fast. I think. That is an excellent observation. The cloud, in other words, the cloudification goes further than just the
0: technology stack.
2: I think the, the cloud will have a strong cultural influence on this conference. Yeah. And we'll see it change, and we'll see it change fast.
0: Very much agree. Um, so, Shalk, you've been tracking uh, AI, part of, part of the day job as well as your role on the show here. Yeah. So, uh, what struck you?
1: A couple of things. Firstly the keynote of Brad Smith, where he said that nothing has changed the world in the same way AI will since the printing press, which is kind of a, spe- of a statement, right? Yeah. So looking forward to that. To well, that was all a big thing, change. yeah. Uh, the other one was the AI RAN Alliance, which is a new industry group, um, which has been unveiled this week and will focus on R&D, on next generation RAN technology that also has AI at its heart. Yeah. AI again.
2: What I like was when we had that conversation about the network can sense what's going on and change its behavior and reprogram itself. So, is it two people in a field or is it 90,000 people at a, co- a conference? And that's going to be one of the things I think that makes 5G properly work because we can all get frustrated a bit that you've got full signal, it says 5G, and yeah. the web page won't load. And I think this concept of the network sensing that and. You know what AI enabled Randall will also be able to do, Rob? Go on. Shut the whole
0: thing down when the robots rise. <laughs> yeah. So as they
2: take over, we'll lose connectivity first.
0: That, that's what will go first. So wait, when we, when all can... our phones go off, we all know what's happening.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we can really go offline again.
2: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. I'm not into. Well, You're seeing all... it as a favour. Yeah. It, and, sometimes, and, yeah, yeah. Singularity occurring and the robots rising. Uh, yeah. One. One of
0: the other things that uh, Brad talked about that I was looking at was they were attempting to uh, launch AI access principles. And this is apparently to offset um, open AI competition concerns, which is quite interesting. And they describe it as the access principles will govern how we operate our AI data center infrastructure and other important AI assets around the world. Now, I don't know what's driving this. Let's, let's assume that I've, I've just taken this uh, summary from uh, TechCrunch. So, you know, they're, you know they're... they're Their take on it was to offset open AI competition. Whether it's that, whether they're doing it for other ethical reasons, difficult to see. But I think it is time we started to have some aspect of of, of probably openly governed uh, principles around
2: AI, isn't it? There's a lot of experience from industry about, you know, we've had open software for a long time. We've seen uh, entire operating systems to be done that way. They really need to learn from those communities because what you don't want is protectionism. But you don't want to go over the uh, too far trying to keep it open and burdening everyone with weird um, structures of governance that slow it all down. That's right. And I think, again, it's another one where you just go, look over there and see what they did and just do what they did because they've done it for 20 years and they're pretty good at it. Yeah.
1: They also mentioned or um, released last week uh, that they are going to invest 2.1 billion in Spain's AI and cloud revolution so they're really pushing on it yeah
0: yeah so i think the last point that we were going to broadly talk about before we get onto some you know kind of just walking round observations that we've i think we've probably all got
2: uh, is i think we've all found it a bit of an education right has been a learning experience what i loved was your face after cuz of the podcast which, we, which day <laughs> Always, David, yeah, yeah. always love your face. But, particularly when um, you learn something, you have a particular look on your face. And right. I saw that a lot this week. <laughs> well, is like, it a look, of, a look of horror? No, no, no. It is a, it's a very obvious facial right, expression right. you pull, though, where Dave's, you go... Dave's processing. Dave's processing. <laughs> yes, the cogs are whirring, yeah. The steam's coming out of the ears. And something has been loaded into his brain. <laughs> <laughs> Happened a lot. But it is because it's a... Um, I think there's more discussion about industry implementation and things like that. We sort of see the... Potential to talk about it, but it is a particular slice of what we talk about on the show. Yeah. So we've been able to explore it a bit deeper, and I yeah, think yeah. learning has definitely come from that. Shark, what do you think? What's your big takeaway yeah, on that?
1: I think I, I mentioned it in one of the previous pod- as well, uh, episodes as well. Um, you really now see that we have a mature cloud platform offered by different hyperscalers. And now we can take the next step and build upon that and create all sorts of industry solutions that really support everyone in their daily work or in their processes, mm. etc. And I think that's a really great thing to see.
0: So Marcel, what was your big takeaway? Is it the see-through sc- the screen?
5: Uh, that,
1: that was uh, really a bombshell
5: for me. <laughs> <laughs> I want to buy it. No, uh, it, it was all about, uh, maybe it, it was mentioned, also folding phones.
2: So oh, the consumer it, happiness, there's, a, big, there's yeah. a lot of that here, consumer it, uh, happiness, yeah.
5: I've seen it, you have a folding phone, Rob, so I was always impressed by it, but now you have a folding phone so big as your desktop already. It, it's really amazing, and uh, the price is a little bit high, but in the end I think it's really sort of a next step in, 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 in a mobile, and yeah. And also, uh, I think Xiaokia mentioned it also, uh, phones without apps so oh, it, yeah. it's, it's it's really amazing what will happen and suddenly you see sort of what you already mentioned it's the next step suddenly everybody accepted the platform and now it's really implementing what we can do with it even people who are not technical focused uh, sudden, suddenly they, they can do stuff
2: yeah the accessibility to everyone because you don't have to tackle an app store understand how to go log in it's all integrated in a different way actually there is a really good point about digital equality in that mm, mm. Uh, and i know we might think we like our app store and everything else but actually a unified interface could be a lot more powerful for people who may struggle to use that type of technology you know what it is it, it, well, yeah, the c word again it's the yeah
0: well it is that <laughs> the, yeah uh, but it's also the uh, it's the promise of the star trek communicator isn't it oh
2: it's getting there <laughs> oh it's, we're close yeah yeah for yeah, sure yeah.
5: got for to sure. beat me up
2: No, that's an interesting principle, though. You take Star Trek, you take the Mm Tricorder. So do our mobile phones and the vision of our future, was Star Trek um, able to see into the future, or have we built a world based on what we saw back when Star Trek was created? I 100% think it's the latter. You think we have been influenced massively by the vision that was created back then? Very much so. Uh, Very much so.
0: A bit like Blade Runner.
2: Oh, Although, no, Dave, the disappointment on your face of that that flying taxi wasn't a 1970s yellow cab that could take off a la Fifth Element, I think. Like, it simply was not a flying taxi.
0: <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was a helicopter with five rotor blades. It's like, we've already, we've already got a helicopter with one rotor blade. We don't need one with five. And it didn't look any better or more comfortable from a seating experience than a helicopter. It was, it was my disappointment See, of the week. So, actually, it was my second disappointment of the week. The first we'll, so what we'll would, talk about what, So, yeah. Dave,
5: what would Elon say if, if, a, if a development team was saying, We're creating a flying taxi, and they presented a helicopter with five rotor blades?
0: I literally dread to think what kind of reaction you'd get from the like of Musk that's, if you presented that thing as that's a. That's not a taxi. A, that is not a taxi. <laughs> that is a bad helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we are desperately sorry to have to announce that flying cars are still not here. Despite all of the amazing convergence, all of the stuff going on in space, the fact we've got you know, the Star Trek communicator probably within a year or so, something like that,
2: still have not got our head around flying cars. It's a thing, I think maybe, Dave, you need to let it go.
1: Eh, do, I? We, do we actually need it? Yeah.
0: Have you spent any time on the M25 in...
2: <laughs> well, Traffic in Barcelona,
0: reflection.
2: Oh, there you go. Oh my word, that, it's that full. It's full. The city is full. <laughs> it is full. <laughs> they, should, they should put a barrier around it and it should be a one-in-one-out, like yeah. a bouncer on a nightclub. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, would, we have spent far too much time <laughs> in the back of taxis. But we will we,
1: only move that traffic to the sky, right? <laughs> yeah, we have move exactly it to the, the sky. Same, same yeah.
2: Barcelona needs flying taxis. It, ab- absolutely ab- More does. than anything
0: else. More than anything else. And yeah, you're right. Like When we say we spend a lot of time in the back of taxis, we are talking. Hours and hours of. I'm not
2: going far. Not no, going far on no. a map. You think, oh, it's only three kilometres. I literally get got sick of
1: it.
0: Yeah, yeah, lit- <laughs> quite literally, quite literally. <laughs> so, other other observations, just to round up today, shall?
1: For me, the last one also a bit disappointing. Xiaomi's latest robot dog, the <laughs> Yeah. Cyber dog, yeah. Um, which does backflips, and that made me realize that it's time to go home. I miss my cat, who is slightly <laughs> overweighted, and. From that fact not able to do any backflips. But um
0: Are you gonna
2: try and train him or him or her over the weekend to no, do that? No
1: no 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 no. Uh, not uh, capable of doing that,
2: but no. We shouldn't forget we shouldn't forget the other thing that happened on that stand. Which was um dave setting all the alarms off with the mobile phones yes. and everybody just looking at him and putting it down and casually walking <laughs> <Yeah>. away <laughs> which was quite yeah. a moment so you talk about disappointment that i i was chuckling for a long time glad <laughs> to that help, very, help. Very, very nonchalantly walking away from the big alarm going off
5: but on that booth the, everything was integrated eh? Yeah, was yeah. a car a phone a watch Wash, uh, washing machine washing machine yeah. a vacuum cleaner a flipping dog Everything, it was really integrated into one platform. Yeah,
0: convergence is the word. Convergence is the word of the day. (laughs) So, look, we'll be back for our next set of lives at uh, Google Next back in Vegas in April. So, we'll bring you a bunch of shows from there, hopefully, meeting some good people. And the really sad news about it you know, the sad news about going to Vegas uh, in April again?
1: Uh, Tell me, tell us, tell us.
0: Robert had uh, tickets for a concert.
1: Yeah, he mentioned that.
2: I'm missing out. You're I'm missing, missing out. out. Who are who, who you going to go and say? I'm not saying. It was James Blunt. Yes. Apparently, he still plays concerts, Marcel. Is and it? A, uh, big arenas, and he still sells out. He's, He's got an amazing voice. He plays arenas? Yeah. Do the voice. No. <laughs> I can't do justice to what that man can do. <laughs> on that bombshell.
1: A huge thanks to our guest, Marcel. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks also <laughs> to our sound and editing wizards, Ben and Louis, our producer, again, Marcel. And of course, to all of our listeners. We're on LinkedIn and X, Dave Chapman, Rob Kernahan, and Xiao Kizal. Feel free to follow or connect with us. And please get in touch if you have any comments or ideas for the show. And of course, if you haven't already done that, rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you back in another reality next week.